What up, what up, what up? Hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I just want to let you know, I know everybody can't always support and donate uh, to the podcast, but hey, if you can do a one-time donation, I put up a buy me a coffee uh, link in this description of the podcast. So if you go to the description of the podcast, it'll be at the bottom, and you can just uh, go to that link and you buy me a cup of coffee, or two if you want. And uh, that would just help support the show, and uh, I can... I can wake up a little bit more and bring you more info so thanks for listening to the podcast if you can donate that would be much appreciated and let's get on to the show when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Welcome back to Lockdown Universe, one of the bizarre, peculiar, and unheard of stories of UFO legends and lore. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, today I'm going to talk about the indigenous elders talking about the star people, uh, not only in America, but also up in Canada and Alaska. And they have a long and storied history of encountering the star people or aliens and UFOs. Um, in the Alaskan area, which used to be called Alaskak, according to uh, this article on collective evolution. Um, I had never heard of that before, so it's always fun to learn something new. Um, But um, in this article, they interviewed uh, different elders and dictate a little bit about what happened in the past and legends that have been passed on down along the lines and the lineage Uh, of some of the Cherokee Indians, as well as other tribes. Um, So they talk about subterranean worlds. They talk about alien bases that actually are subterranean, that we are still there, uh, still being used, still high-tech, and that um, we we don't have access to, Um, but that they have been built by alien hands and um, that these subterranean worlds... uh, have been handed down through their lineage as myths and legends uh, amongst generations and generations of people from uh, all over the world. Uh, Even Socrates spoke of huge hollows within the earth that were inhabited by by vast caverns where rivers flowed. Uh, Some people call the inner earth Agartha, uh, which is kind of like what we're talking about here, an entirely populated uh, kind of jungle-like, um, very similar to the surface of the Earth uh, world within the planet, um, that there's a, a hollow Earth and there's an access point uh, through the top of um, the planet, that there's a circle access point. Um, and so these are, these are some of the stories that have been passed down along the lineage um, between the native peoples and uh, other peoples around the world. Um, so apparently the Cherokee Indians tell us that when they first came to the southeastern 
United States, so we're talking about like Florida area, um, that they found many well-tended gardens, but there was no people that cared for them. Eventually, they found out and discovered a group of people who lived underground and came out only at night to tend to these gardens. They harvested the food and took it underground to their cities. And they reported that these people were small and had blue skin and large black eyes. They reported that the sun's rays were too harsh for them, so they built their cities underground and only came out at night using the light of the moon. The Cherokee called them the moon people. So this just, you know, speaks to evolution and how some of these, some creatures may have evolved uh, millions of mil through millions and millions of years. Um, and maybe previously were able to exist on the surface of the planet, but had to retreat. And I have read so many stories, guys, about these small blue aliens that um, that are called star people or you know moon people um, that have been written by all kinds of different tribes. And this is this is going back years and years and years in my UFO research, and just keeps to seem popping up even down in like the Aztec area, New Mexico. There have been stories about, you know, these blue guys coming up and grabbing a few things off the surface of the planet and then retreating back. So it's it's really interesting to think about subterranean cultures that might actually exist and have been reported by, you know, our ancestors through many millions and millions uh, of years. Um, so uh, a quote uh, from Dr. Andy Sixkiller Clark, that's a cool name, uh, he's a professor at the Montana State University who is Cherokee Choctaw uh, Indian. He's been researching star people and tribes for many years and encountering a lot of natives who have stories about them. Uh, he recently published two articles uh, detailing indigenous stories of encounters with star people, and one was regarding an indigenous elder who shared a story about his his encounters with star people and who who reportedly crashed on their reservation. Um, so the second article was published just a few days ago uh, in which an elder who showed Dr. Clark a petrified alien heart and he claimed that that this heart belonged to the star people. So let's take a look at the first report and article uh, where the elder talked about a crash on their reservation. So this story actually occurs in North and South Dakota, Wyoming and Montana. So there's a lot of different areas uh, in the North that, that are attributed to UFO crashes. Um, this elder states that his encounter predates the crash at Roswell. Um, and he states that it occurred in the summer of 1945, and he states that he was 12 at the time. And he explained how the Army Corps of Engineers came to the reservation around the summer of 1947, so about two years later, to survey the river and the surrounding area for, quote-unquote, the reservoir. So originally there was no reservoir, and the Corps confiscated the land and in return gave Harrison's grandfather a worthless piece of land on the other side of the butte. He states, I spent every summer uh, at this place from, from the time he was six years old, um, and his mom and pop both worked for the tribe, and they didn't want him to come home alone uh, during the summers or to be home alone during the summers. So every May he packed two paper bags 
one with a change of clothes and the other with books, marbles, and his toy gun. And his folks dropped him off to live with his gramps uh, from June to August. He loved the summers up there, and he stated he was the only child for miles. He rode horses and herded cattle, and he helped with chores and whatever else he could do. As he got older, there were bigger chores and more responsibilities, and there was no TV or video games like kids have today. So <clears throat> the story goes on and reports that his grandfather told him about a spaceship that crashed on their property. He states, I saw the ship. I went aboard it. It was a long cylinder about 30 feet wide and 60 feet long. I measured it by pacing it off. Most of it stuck inside the butte, close to the water level. It was pretty well camouflaged, and you can't see the butte now. It was covered by water when the Corps of Engineers flooded the valley, creating the reservoir. And he goes on to explain that the crash shook the ground so hard that my grandpa thought the house was going to collapse. You can still see a crack in the foundation of the log cabin where Gramps said the spaceship crash caused this foundation crack. The horses were so frightened that it took them a month to round up. And even then, they were constantly trying to escape. And at first, Gramps thought it was an earthquake, which makes sense, right? I mean, if anything crashes, you're going to think it's an earthquake. I actually experienced an earthquake myself, and I thought it was a bomb that had dropped off because I could hear it's the epicenter so far away, and it rumbled towards my house. So it just goes to show you that sometimes you can hear things, and it's confusing as to what it is, but eventually you find out what the what the truth is, and he saw this craft. It hit with such a force that only a small section stuck out of the butte, so this thing really implanted itself in the earth. Uh, Gramps not only had a keen eye, but he knew the land like the back of his hand, like most of us would if we lived on a piece of property. The smallest disturbance would catch his attention, and for the longest time he sat on the butte watching for any signs of life, so he just kind of sat and watched this spacecraft. He kept a vigil for a few days, and finally after a week he ventured to the place of impact. His grandfather told him that the starmen who crashed there survived and lived in their craft for approximately five months before another ship came and rescued them. It's really interesting, right? So five months it took them to be rescued, which makes me think that, you know, it might have been, you know, a larger ship that was uh, sustainable for long periods of space flight and that they had to wait for another aircraft that was, you know, probably, you know, somewhere else in the galaxy um, to come and retrieve them. But five months they waited, man, that's a long time. I don't care who you are in enemy territory, on an enemy planet. I mean, they're really lucky they survived. Uh, at the time of the crash, the closest ranch to our place was about 10 miles away. And as fate would have it, those neighbors had moved out of the state before the crash occurred, so Gramps delighted in keeping the Starman's presence a secret. Harrison explained that the first time his grandfather approached them, he did so by taking them an offering of food, and he told them, oh, they told him they do not eat flesh. He described them as taller than humans, at about seven to eight feet tall, and very white. So these might be the tall whites that we always, you know, are hearing about in ufology and folklore. He described them as being so white you could almost see inside of them, so like almost translucent. I'm not sure what he meant by that, except that their skin was, might have been very thin. They had long, slender fingers, much longer than humans. Their hair was white, 
and when the, sh the sun shined on it, Gramps said it looked like a halo surrounded their heads. He said that the t uh, he said that sometimes they looked like angels depicted in the paintings of the Bible, except they did not wear gowns. Their eyes, as well, changed color depending on the light. So this is really interesting. We're getting a lot of detail here. Furthermore, Harrison's grandfather described what they wore. He was particularly interested in their clothes. They wore a one-piece light green outfit, and he told me there were times where he saw them wading in the river, and when he approached them, their suits were dry. He told me that he wished he had a suit like that, and when I think of the old man and how he viewed the star visitors, he did his best to describe what he saw. I'm sure if the same thing occurred today, the observers might offer a more sophisticated perspective. So he goes on, and he, he, he kind of talks about this for a while. He talks about how the star people picked up rocks and plants, and at first when they saw him, they vanished before his eyes. And he never discovered an explanation for that. <laughs> but he wished he had that power, uh, the power to kind of vanish. Um, Gramps thought that, that uh, it was like a trait, simply to vanish into thin air when he wanted, but it was probably technology. Um, as time passed... The starman realized he meant no harm to them, and, and they didn't disappear when he, when he would approach. And over time, it became clear that they were concerned about their craft. Then they did not want to be discovered. So these guys were really just trying to hide out and make it as long as they could, and hopefully make it back home. Uh, Gramps knew that they were, were waiting on a rescue craft, so he expected it. And he told me their spaceship was one of four exploring Earth. They had been dropped off by a bigger ship that was circling the Earth. The big ship would not return for them for some time, and that uh, they just had to wait it out. They were not afraid, um, but they were afraid that they might be discovered. Um, but if they were discovered or that uh, an invading army was to come, they could actually make themselves invisible, um, but they could not make the spaceship invisible. So they might be kind of screwed apparently if they couldn't hide their spaceship well enough so <clears throat> the grandfather actually witnessed their pickup he watched as they prepared to leave each one of the stranded star travelers came to him and bowed before they left and he understood that they appreciated his discretion um, and he said that there were voyagers uh, that had traveled the universe observing life on other worlds they had been coming to Earth for thousands of years, observing and collecting and noting changes. One day they actually took him aboard their craft and showed him pictures from their home. And as he described it, I suspect it was some kind of TV or computer, but in my grandfather's day there was no such thing, so he called it a picture machine, and he talked about flashing pictures that showed a place different than Earth. It reminded him of the Badlands, uh, but with no vegetation. Their houses were underground, and he asked them if it was heaven and they told him they did not have a place such as heaven. He was fascinated by the picture machine, and he went back several times to view the pictures. Apparently, the star visitors told them they liked the green of Earth, so they must have liked our nice vegetation here. Um, and they thought that the red willows that grew along the banks of the, of the river were quite beautiful in April. They loved the water, uh, because on their, their world, water was underground. Nothing was on the surface. 
uh, and his grandfather frequently collected uh, geodes for them, and they were amazed when he broke them open to reveal the crystallized, uh, crystallized cities, quote-unquote, inside. They were apparently very pleased to add them to their collection. And Grandpa also taught them about medicinal uses of the red willow and how to propagate it from a small sample. So, <clears throat> as far as the craft goes, um, he stated that it was pretty well camouflaged to the point that nobody would be able to recognize it, um, with the naked eye anyway. Uh, but as he went inside the craft, he explained that when you sat in the chair, it melted around you as if it was alive. And it enveloped the body like a warm hug, and then it released you when you wanted to get up. The craft also had what appeared to be hieroglyphics on the inside. Eventually, the Army Corps of Engineers came and built their dam, and that flooded the area where the craft was, and the suspects, uh, he suspects that the Army Engin Corps of Engineers took the craft after they flooded the area to kind of alleviate it from the ground, to, to take it from being stuck in the ground probably about 75% to get it out of the ground that way. So <clears throat> this is a truly fascinating story, um, you know, and we don't really get to hear a lot about these kinds of stories. We might hear about some, um, you know, Native Americans who have, you know, invited some aliens to, you know, have a sit-down meeting around a fire and, and talk and converse, but not for like a five-month period and not for um, being able to see inside of an aircraft and and uh, to talk about them and see pictures of another world. Um, it's truly interesting. And, and to hear about the seven to eight foot tall uh, white aliens, um, you know, we don't hear about those a whole lot. Um, we typically hear about the little three foot ones that abduct us in the middle of the night. But these seven to eight foot tall ones sound pretty cool. And they seem to be very helpful um, in most of the stories that I hear about them. Uh, they're pretty you know, benevolent, uh, pretty helpful uh, in sharing technology um, and trying to learn more about us. And it sounds like that's kind of the case here is that they're just kind of observing Earth and just gaining information, kind of like a reconnaissance mission. Um, but yeah, that just goes to show you there's tons of stories out there. Um, I could I could go off on a couple of these other stories, but I'm going to wait for another podcast because I like to keep them short for you guys so they're easy, easy to digest. Um, so what do you think about this story? Do you think it's, you know, factual? What do you think about the tall whites? Do you think that they're benevolent? Um, what do you think about the five months? I mean, it seems like a long time for the Army Corps engineers to, to show up two years later. Um, maybe they just hadn't um, had the technology to track aircraft that well yet because we know now they're able to be at a crashed UFO site within, you know, less than a few days, sometimes within 20 minutes, depending on what part of the planet it's it's on and whether there's hostiles there. So um, maybe these guys got lucky back in 40, 45, uh, and we weren't able to track them down quite easily yet. So interesting story. Hopefully you guys are taking care of yourselves, staying healthy, taking care of your family, uh, focusing on your hobbies and your goals, and uh, really just taking care of what's important. Uh, continue questioning the universe. And until next time, Lockdown Universe out.